0: It is easy to think that you're all alone and on your own. It's easy to forget that you are surrounded by people who love you and who are either going through the same thing that you're going through or who have been through what you are experiencing. The world is filled with people, just absolutely jam packed with people who are poor in spirit and who are mourning. The world is full of people who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness but can't ever quite seem to find it. And this world is filled with merciful people, too, with people who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers. The world is filled with people who are persecuted for the name of our Lord. And so, the world is filled with sinners who can't stop sinning, and the world is filled with people who can't stop loving them. And that's the paradox of our existence, isn't it? Two things seem to be true that also seem to be completely contradictory to one another. So the death of Christ is his victory. His submission to the rulers of this world is also his great triumph over them. When you see things through the cross of Jesus, the world might actually start to make a little bit of sense to us. Because the suffering, it will not end. In the morning... That won't cease either. We're kind of stuck with all of that stuff. But the fun of being a Christian, though, is that you know that you are given a promise for something else and something more. I think that is one of the great tragedies of our day, of our time. The complete inability to see anything outside of our immediate experience. All we know is what we can see and feel right now. And so that's all that matters. And it's a heresy for us to think that the current chaos might actually not be that bad and it might actually turn out to be just fine no matter what happens. Because it has all happened in the past and it will continue in the future. The world has seen plagues The world has seen all sorts of civil and political unrest, and at the end of the day, life may have been miserable throughout most of the history of the world, but it was still life. And there's promise attached to that. One of my favorite artists is uh, Peter Bruegel, and he's a 16th century Dutch painter, and if you ever have an art history textbook, he's in there somewhere. But uh, Peter Bruegel, he, he composes these, just like these scenes of life, and they kind of like cause you to imagine things about what's going on in these paintings. Uh, just, it, and the, he focuses on peasants, which, like I don't know if anyone else is really doing that at the time. So we're used to seeing all these like portraits of royalty and people in castles and things like that, and battles. Exciting things, but uh, Bruegel focuses on the normal people of the world. So, this one painting of Bruegel—it's called *The Return of the Hunters*—and this is one that's like gonna be in your art history textbook again. Um, it shows a couple of guys coming back from a hunt, and uh, they have not been particularly successful. But then the thing that Bruegel does in all these paintings that's so amazing, So he just shows all the rest of the people in the village, too. So up on the hill, these hunters are coming back. They've got a fox and a rabbit, and then there's a bunch of dogs with them, too. They're worried that the world is going to fall apart because they didn't get enough uh, food for everyone. You can tell that they're sad and they're downtrodden. So then in the background, there's dozens of people. And if I were writing, if I, if I were uh, painting this, which, you know, I can't, and maybe that's a good thing. I would depict all the peasants just absolutely like, freaking out and uh, just worrying about what they're going to do. But uh, Briegel does this wonderful thing. In, in, As he depicts peasant life in the 16th century in, in the Netherlands, which was... Uh, as I suspect, it has always been pretty rough and brutal to be a peasant, no matter where you find yourself. That kind of goes with the territory. Uh, but there in the background, all these people that you would expect to be completely miserable and just worried about everything, um, it's, it's a winter scene. It's great. It's probably about right now. And they're out, they're out ice skating, and they're playing hockey and, uh, and curling. It's, it's amazing. are like, well, those people... Should be weeping. Filled with dread for the future. There they are. And all of his paintings are like this too. They're just fantastic. It's like he just tells us, well, yes, life is hard. Suffering is real. But there's, there's some people there. Real people. Doing real things in the middle of real life. Still enjoying the gifts that the Lord has given to us. And that's how I kind of see All Saints Day. Anytime you see the artwork of the All Saints, there's like tons of people in it. Uh, this is one called the uh, Adoration of the Lamb, and, and there's in the the middle of it there's a, an altar with the Lamb on it, and then surrounding the Lamb there's just like hundreds of people, and you kind of you can spend all day looking at them. And it, it was it was a part of a an altar piece in a church, and. Uh, so during long sermons, I imagine all the kids looking at this, this painting and wondering, I well, wonder who that guy is and all these things. That's what All Saints Day is. It's just There's so much more to it than just us. And it's so easy to forget that and for us to think that we're on our own here. Uh, but you're not. There's more to the church and there's more to your life and there's more to the, the faith than just... You trying to make it on your own and do it all by yourself. Like you're, some, you're part of something that's much bigger. And the revelation today uh, shows us what the church looks like. It's like, yeah, there's 144,000 and they're from every nation. And, th- and then you name them all off. And, and then you go on and you say, well, now there's a great multitude from every nation and no one can number them. They're clothed in white robes, given them in holy baptism. They're singing, gathered around the Lamb, around Jesus. And he looks like he's been slaughtered because he has been slaughtered. But he lives. See, there's more. There's always more. It's like that with these Bruegel paintings. You keep looking and you keep finding more in them. So, what goes with the church and with you? You keep looking. There's more. And then you see there's four living creatures around the throne of the Lamb and they're falling on their faces. And who are they? That <laughs> it's even there at the end. Who are these people? What's going on here? There's more. There's the promise. That every tear will be wiped from every mourning eye. And that you who mourn, you will be comforted. For this present darkness will not last forever. The fog will lift. Death will be no more. And what will become of us? Well, then life is given and even more. You will not vanish or just disappear into thin air, no. But you will live even more than you live now. It is hard to imagine. But you will live in the new Jerusalem. The heavenly city that Jesus Christ himself is preparing for us. That's what he's doing now. There he is. And then he will bring that heavenly city down to earth with a place just for you. Now, we don't have a whole ton of funerals in our congregation. Uh, we tend to have like, way more baptisms than funerals here, uh, and, and that's, that's fine. Um, not that there's anything wrong with funerals, that they happen, you know. Uh, it's okay, it's just a thing that happens to every single one of us. Uh, but I, I know pastors who have churches that don't have any children in them at all. And uh, most of their people are quite advanced in age. Um, but a church should never pride itself on its demographics or statistics. That's not how it works in, in the church, in the kingdom of God. Not even in the Revelation, when you're given the 144,000. Like It's not even meant to be a literal number, it's just a symbolic number. It's like, yeah, there's kind of a lot of them. And then if you couldn't imagine... How many are there? Then, Well, there's even this great multitude that no one can count. But in a few minutes, anyways, we will read the names of every single person who has died in this congregation, to the best of our knowledge. Um, There is a wonderful big red book in the church office, and I love it. It's kind of fun to go through. It, uh, It contains all the names... For all these sorts of things, for when you join the church, we write your name down in there, and then uh, it doesn't always get written down right away because I have bad handwriting, and I want to wait till someone you know comes along that you. Someone who comes along in like 200 years, I would want them to be proud of looking at that handwriting. Mine just doesn't quite cut it yet. But, uh, but it's a fantastic book, and in that book, just, it's just filled with all these names of people joining the church, and people being baptized, and people being confirmed, and, then, and people, yes, there are funerals. It's good, we write your name down there. That's where all the names will come from. Because uh, we have not had a funeral in two years, So when we commemorate the faithful departed, we commemorate all of them who have come out of here. So, if we're going through the list, and if you remember someone that we've forgotten, I've forgotten, please forgive my clerical oversight. Uh, But it's it's interesting going through the book, the Big Red Book, because there are people in there who no one remembers. there's all these like awesome old-timey names and everyone's kind of like who is this person you'll hear some of them there are names in the book that are very difficult to hear that bring up a lot of memories people that you loved and there are also names in there that just inspire nothing at all i don't know but every single one of those people all of these names Well, they they lived out the faith here in this place, and they were brought by Christ here, alive and then dead. Why? Well, because the poor in spirit are blessed, and those who mourn are blessed. So it's interesting to me that we don't just dispose of people when they die. Why not? Well, because we love these people, Jesus loves these people, even today. So we remember these people because they are our people and they belong to us and we to them, even though we know not most of them. But there will come a day when you will meet them before the throne of the Lamb and you'll talk to them. Maybe about how wonderful this window was. We don't just throw people away and forget them when they die. We take care of them. Put them away for safekeeping. Why? Because you will be comforted as the church has already been comforted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is also your resurrection given to you in holy baptism. It is not a mistake that the first first things that the the church bought, our first commonly held properties in the church, those uh, thousands of years ago, there were cemeteries. And they doubled as worship spaces. eating and drinking the mystical supper of Christ, there in the midst of those who you loved, who had died? That is how it is for you even today. Today, here, rejoicing before this, the Lamb's throne, that has come down to us here on this altar, it's a small taste of the things that are to come, saints, all of them, here and there, the great ones and the little ones, the everyday ones, the forgotten ones, the loved ones, the saints who return from the hunt and the the saints who are off ice skating in the background, the ones who rejoice, the ones who mourn, are blessed and comforted, all of them, here together. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.